We're starting a new sermon series this morning on the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is one of the wisdom books from the Old Testament. Uh, It is a book of poetry, of representational verbal art designed to convey deep truths about the gospel, about reality. Uh, The wisdom books are books that do not shy away, are not afraid of uh, some of the deeper and darker truths about reality. Our passage this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanities, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You join me in prayer. And so, Father, we would pray for our own attentiveness now. Thank you that we have an opportunity to hear from a place in the Bible where we don't often read or hear uh, sermons on. And we thank you that we can gather and you can use this word and make it come alive. And the text can be lifted off off the page and empowered by your spirit and and it to impact our souls and we'll, we'll become different people as a result of being in, in, in your presence and encountering who you are through your will. Thank you for the privilege of speaking on your behalf. Uh, humble me during the process. Who am I to tell these people these things? Uh, I ask that you would help me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so you see the cover on your worship folder there, a bleak scene. Uh, We're going to go into the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, A show of hands. How many here uh, have read the book of Ecclesiastes all the way through? Raise raise your hand. Just just okay. All right, good. All right, put your hands down. Um, That is not a surprising uh, figure there. About a third of you were pretty comfortable raising your hand. The rest of you... Uh, are saying, look, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining you've heard aspects of it, uh, vanities of vanities, uh, all is vanity. I know, I know you've, you've, you've had a sense of it probably uh, hanging around church circles. Uh, I am, 
I'm wanting us to go through this book uh, for many reasons. One of the key reasons is that we would see that this book is in the context of the whole Bible. And you would hear truth coming from this book, but you would say, wait a minute, that can't be it. That can't be everything. Wait, that, wait that's not the whole deal. What about? And you would in your mind say, what about? And I hope you'll even do that today. Well, what about? And there will be scripture Something coming from Ephesians, something coming from the book of Mark, something in your mind you'll hear at the teaching of Jesus. Uh, we have a, an opportunity today to hear uh, a Christ-centered message from the wisdom, wisdom books. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I am before you launching a sermon. <laughs> and I, uh, my illustration data bank is filled with celebrity uh, things and uh, I agree. A misspent youth watching too much television. Um, I have books on celebrities. Uh, I don't read celebrity magazines, and uh, I, I catch up on things at the checkout counter, I guess. And, but um, I find that the world of celebrity is is such a, a, a picture of biblical truth. Uh, and if you want to, if you want to look at uh, principles and ideas from Ecclesiastes, well then, perhaps every sermon we'll have is that will be of some, some Hollywood individual. Now, these are sincere people. I, would, I hope uh, they want a job. Uh, they want employment. It's a, it's a crazy world. Uh, getting a TV po- uh, job and, and then getting another one and then getting a film posi- uh, uh, job and then and going on and make a living from it. It's, it's, the odds are one in a million. So uh, it's, a, it's a hard thing. I had an observation some time ago, though. I was watching uh, NBC. This is uh, when Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible movie, the first one, came out. And someone came up with this idea at the, at the film launching. It was going to be the, the big launch in Hollywood there. Someone came up with the idea that let's get the original TV cast. Let's get the original TV cast, uh, the TV cast from Mission Impossible, the TV series. Let's get those guys, yes, they're elderly, Let's get those guys to come to the opening of Mission Impossible, the movie, the, the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. And so um, one of the actors, his name is Martin Landau, an accomplished stage actor, uh, an accomplished TV actor and film actor. Martin Landau, elderly man, is walking the red carpet. Now, some guy named Tom Cruise has come along 50 years later and has made a movie called Mission Impossible. So what you have is this elderly staff, or elderly cast of people who are walking the red carpet, and this NBC intern looks at this elderly man and sticks a microphone in his face and says, Who are you? And Martin Landau uh, sort of swallows for a moment, realizing that he is in the midst of a cast of fools, who do not appreciate him, he says, I'm Martin Landau. Well, what do you do? I mean, why are you here? And he says, well, I was on the original cast of Mission Impossible, the TV series. There was a TV series? And you could see this man's face drop, realizing that this is an individual, perhaps a whole generation has no idea of all the work they did at Millions of people watched the Mission Impossible series, one of the, one of the, one of the most popular ones in the 60s, 
and no one remembers it. The great Martin Landau, friend of Steve McQueen uh, and other famous actors, had this disbelief on his face. And he recommended to the, to the intern, NBC intern, that he, he watch some of the episodes. He might like them. I wonder what Martin Landau thought as he drove home that night, that he was an unknown in a town he used to own. And uh, with that sobering, depressing opening, welcome to Ecclesiastes. We are meaning makers. Meaning makers. You have been deeply uh, wired, uh, intrinsically wired for meaning. And the book we're about to start today uh, brings to us some haunting and troubling questions. Uh, we want to find the truth uh, that God has revealed in every sentence and every phrase from this book. And we want to prepare ourselves for really a season uh, in the history of the church, they call it Lent, or as we lead into Good Friday and even to Easter, we want to realize in a new, fresh way what God has done for us to deliver us from a bleak uh, outlook on life. Herman Melville once wrote of the book of Ecclesiastes. He said it's the truest of all books. Thomas Wolfe, the, uh, the novelist, said, it is the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth, the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known. So, uh, it is a significant book, and uh, I think you're going to find um, aspects of the book of Ecclesiastes relating to your life. I think all of you are uh, observing life. I think you're all making notes. I think you're all collecting um, recollections. I think you all are uh, deeply uh, concerned about significance, and so you are watching your career. Is it worthwhile? Does it have meaning? Family, marriage, all the categories. Think of it, having kids. What's it worth? What's, it, what's the value of it? And, and these things begin to, to shape our outlook. These things begin to shape our view of things. And we can get stuck in simply our experience of life. And we define our lives by our experience. One of the interesting things about the book of Ecclesiastes is right up front we're told this is a preacher. We're dealing with an evangelist. And they've experienced everything. This is not a 14-year-old who thinks they know everything. This is, this is someone who's lived all of life. They've tried everything, and they've got a sermon. Buckle up. They've got stuff to say. And they are going to preach with passion about the things they know of their experience. The first book, the first part of the book is vanity, vanity, all is vanity. You'll hear that a lot. It's not just in chapter 1. And then the second part of the book is sort of the consequences of that fact. Well, if everything's vanity, what, what does that lead to? And often it leads to a mystery of life. How can I know anything? Well, what am I here for? And then there's a growing sense. I have a feeling and a sense of eternity in my heart, but I can't quite get to it. I can't feel it. I can't get my arms around it. I've been made for something more, but what is it? And it's intangible. First part, vanity, vanity. Second part, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I can't do much. So, so it's, it's a great book. Great truths about God as creator, God as judge. Uh, there's truths in here that uh, God should be revered and obeyed. Truths about life. There's pointers to, of, about despair. Uh, 
reflections on despair, and then simple joys, and there's truths about common sense and how to be an entrepreneur and enterprising, and, and where does that go, and, and then even the point of rest. So it's not all bleak. Um, uh, it's not all uh, uh, sad, but we definitely need to find uh, the deep truths here and be, fa- be found finding a cross throughout this, 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 pass- this, this book. Um, we, we can address who the writer is. Uh, it, the historic view is that Solomon is the writer. Uh, we find that in the opening, uh, verse 12, I am the king. You'll see verse 12. Uh, actually, it's not in your worship folder, but it's there. And then first, in verse 16, we hear, I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Well, we know that Solomon asked for wisdom. Well, there's some, some debate in academic circles about who actually is this person, and you get the impression that this king has been around to see a lot of other kings. So that may not qualify Solomon, but we'll address that as this thing unfolds. Well, let's get into it here. Uh, we've got um, the first area is under the sun, the pursuit of meaning in work is vain. Ecclesiastes 1 through 4. Hear this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Oh, he's reflecting on work. What actually happens in all my work? What gets accomplished? And his opening, the opening salvo is vanity of vanities. And, and the idea behind this word, vanity, is essentially that it's, it's a word that contains the idea of breath behind it. And a covenant seminary professor actually proposes the idea that what we experience in this, um, in this breath word is, is this. Uh, as you breathe... The breath that you're taking right now, let's all take this together. Breathe. Nice. Now exhale. Very good. A nice cleansing breath. Very good. Okay. Now you're free to take another one. Go ahead. Go. Good job. And as I talk here, you'll take another one. And as I talk a little longer, you'll take another one. Now, you're about four breaths away from the one I told you to take. Is that correct at this point? All right. Some of you are wondering, what on earth happened to this sermon? So, now as we go along, uh, my watch is the only important watch at this, at this juncture. Uh, all right. Uh, my watch says it's about 12 after. The correct watch is actually back there in the sound booth. It's 7 after. Um, so, you're at the 7 after breath stage. It's the 7 after minute, okay? And you have, I don't know how many breaths you'll take. Uh, but the only breath that really matters, forget that one I told you about, right? The one I told you about, how many of you think that's precious? No, you don't. That isn't precious anymore. The only precious breath is what? That's right, the one you got right now. So enjoy it. <laughs> Enjoying it? Good. Now, as you move out of this seven after breath stage, st- stage right, you're moving into a new stage of breathing. And the only stage that matters is the one you have now. And the one that you had that you thought was so important is now fading. It's just fading away. You can't even think of it. You can't even imagine it. Who cares about it? What do you mean, seven after? I, t- I actually breathed back then? Yeah. Now what? I don't know. I got a breath going on right now. It's good. I like it. And that's how we are. Who cares about the breath you had a minute ago? 
Aren't you glad you're here? It's depressing, isn't it? That's what your work is like. That's what, that's what the agenda is like on your to-do list tomorrow. It's like the breath you don't care about. You see, what's going to happen is, if you take all this just to heart, you're going to become these, these uh, black turtleneck people who drink really strong espresso. <laughs> and, they read, and they read like Albert Camus, like, like the novel The Plague or something. Or you read like Jean-Paul Sartre. And you'll just go on, and you'll maybe become a cast member in Theater of the Absurd. And you'll be uh, one of the characters in a, in a play called Waiting for Godot, who never shows up. It's an hour and a half play waiting for someone who never shows up, and the lights come on, you go home. That's it. It's just a, it's a meaningless exercise, a little bit of humor. It's just a breath that you don't care about anymore. Well, that's what... Uh, the. <laughs> The preacher in Ecclesiastes is going after what you think is most precious. What you will die for. What you're driven after. What you're driven for. What you get up and have coffee and go out and face the day for. The preacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, you are just engaging in breath that you no longer care about. At some point, you're going to move on. He's going after what we would call a creation ordinance. Work is a... designated as sacred and good and, and important. We, we learn that from uh, the early chapters of Genesis. He's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Life under the sun, the way I see it, the way I look at this, the way I see just life unfolding because I committed myself to work. I committed myself. I was driven. And now I am weary of work. And it's like, it's like breath that I don't care about anymore. Under the sun, there is a weariness to work. And then if you, don't, if you don't think that, here's a way of, here's a way of punctuating verse 4. A generation goes, and they toil, 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 toil. And a generation comes, they toil, 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 toil. But the earth remains forever. Nothing really changes. What do we do in light of these truths? You know what? There is some truth to this. Some of you are wondering, what on earth is this book doing in the Bible? How did it get here? It's this alien thing. What did, what's it doing here? It's interesting. You can make conclusions about life. At this stage, you can become a nihilist, and you don't believe in anything. That's, you know, there's no meaning at all. Most people, though, become not just only cynical, but they become just sort of pleasure seekers. They're, they're, in, they're indifferent to like, philosophical thought. People don't gather down at Starbucks and talk about philosophy and stuff. That's, that's like, we don't do that as a culture. So we become indifferent, and we basically are just hedonists. We just are watching the Food Channel and looking for some new chicken tetrazzini recipe or something. We're just, we're just sort of bored, and we love to be, in the words of Blaise Pascal, the modern mindset pursues distraction. And Paul came across this uh, in the Corinthian uh, church. This was the idea the Greeks jumped on in other cultures as well. First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty two. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow. What happens? That's right. We're just wasting away in Margaritaville. And so let us eat and drink and for t- let, let us party on. And that, by the way, is coming up in the book of Ecclesiastes. If work is dreary and, and meaningless, let's, let's at least have some fun in this dreary experience. Well, you are all coming to us, uh, uh, Christians. You are coming to conclusions about life. It's happening. Uh, you may actually be functionally in this place. This may be where you actually live. You're 
dutiful, responsible, but you're really not that engaged in the things that you do, the work that you are to do in life. You are looking at things under the sun. Your wisdom is gaining all the attention. Your wisdom, what you think about life, your, the conclusions you make, the journal entries you write, those are the, that's the truth that's really there. That, and it's interesting. Uh, there's a whole generation that has come up and they have no regard for wisdom that has come from previous generations. None. They will learn truth and wisdom through their experiences, through their friends, and through the movie they saw last night. They are going to learn it all over again, fresh, real, it's mine, and it is really close to this kind of stuff. Vain. We have an evangelist in front of us right now in our midst, the word of God, a preacher is saying, vain. It's not just a kind of vanity, it's all vain. Wow. Are you ready for this? And, and they're going right after work, and they're going to go after pleasure, and they're going to go after every category. Because some of us will hear this and we'll say, ah, but. You'll say, ah, but. And you've got something. You've got something that makes life, that makes life work for you. It's, it's working for you. And you're going to say, ah, but, preacher, ah, I got it. And you're going to find out that not one single category under the sun is ever going to rehumanize you and make you alive. We are talking about the deep, sad impact of idolatry. And the one thing that an idol does is it makes you lifeless. It dries you out. It dehumanizes you. It destroys you. So, under the sun... Work is such a weariness. Look at this. Secondly, under the sun, the whole of life is filled with weariness. And now the the preacher says, look, I want to convince you with some illustrations. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down. Don't you all see it? And it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. How interesting. Around and around goes the wind. That's his comment on it. And on its circuits, the wind returns. It's sort of this endless cycle. And then in verse 7, oh, let's talk about streams and rivers. The streams run to the sea, and the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And then verse 8, the conclusion, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What's happening here is that the sun is, is, is this great uh, celestial being in the sky during our day, and, it, and we get the pattern of it. And the wind comes, and, and it's impressive. Sometimes the wind could be a 30-mile-an-hour wind here on the island, and it's impressive. You'll all talk about it. You'll argue, no, it was a 42-mile-an-hour wind. It was incredible. You'll notice these things give an, an initial impression, but they don't really do anything. It's a cycle of monotony. Well, the sun rises, and it's beautiful. Take a picture of it. Sunset, beautiful. Here, go on, on, on the, the Waianae coast. Take a picture. Beautiful. Impressive. Just a few more hours later, it will rise again. 
And if you're not done with that, uh, take another 100 pictures of that sunrise and then get another 100 pictures of the sunset and keep going and keep going. And the, and the wind and the sun and even the rivers, they look so beautiful. But what do they do? What do they accomplish? In fact, couldn't they even just fill the ocean to overflowing, do something significant? See, he's looking at this and saying, what? I am in a monotonous world. I'm in a world where things appear to be significant. There seems to be some activity. Why, the sun, it's a sunrise on Haleakala. Let's go. Leave at three in the morning, which the tourists do. How many have done that? There you go. Good. Did you take your bedspread with you off the hotel? So everybody does. Oh, look, you're at the Hilton. (laughs) So, so there's a sunrise. I I thought it would change my life. I did. Oh, it's a sunrise. I've seen that before. Can we go? Is there coffee anywhere around here? What are we doing here? It's full of weariness. It's filled with monotony. It appears something's happening. But nothing of consequence is going on. Give me a hurricane. I'm bored out of my mind. It's so important that we have a book like this in the Bible. Uh, Not only as Christians do we think and live under the sun like this, but our non-Christian friends are deep in patterns. They observe the patterns of this world. Yes, they are fascinated. Yes, they may travel the world and see eclipses, or they may travel the world and take pictures of uh, amazing things. And yes, there are amazing things in nature. But if you think more deeply, and wisdom literature says, think at the deep level, there's just a pattern going on here, and nothing really is being accomplished. And you've been made for a God who can intervene and bring you out of this monotony that you're observing. And then we have now, under the sun, finally, under the sun, the desperate need arises for something new. And lasting, this is 9 through 11, chapter 1. This is, this is beautiful. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the what? Under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to be among those who come after. Nothing new and nothing remembered. And you say, wait a minute. That can't be right. Minute rice. Minute rice is new. (laughs) They had to wait hours for rice to cook in previous generations. I can have it done in a minute. Right? I have an iPhone. Hittites didn't have iPhones. This is craziness. I'm going to prove the Bible wrong right here. New things all the time. If you're a marketer, we're going right after the key word you love. New. New and improved, right? Well, yeah, minute rice is new. And iPhones are new. What we're talking about is the guy who wants to sell you an iPhone. We're talking about the guy who, who says that the iPhone will change your life. It's like a merchant 500 years ago who's, who's brought silk 
And they're there on the, on the, the harbor, uh, on the dock. And they've got this fine silk from East India. They're holding it out. It's new. A oh, hundred years of that is just old. It's just I've seen that color before. And of course, there are new things. But ultimately and finally, there's nothing that changes you. There's nothing that penetrates your soul to the point where you can be lifted out of this monotony. Entertainment, this culture of distraction that we so love, entertainment leaves us unchanged. And then the key is, (laughs) there's nothing, no one even remembers. All my significant work now, uh, uh, you know, uh, 200 years from now, people will say, now, who was that guy, that company named Apple? And who was that guy? What was his name? Do you, do you know that's going to actually happen? I passed by some junior high girls years ago when Paul McCartney had his band called Wings. Do you remember the eight tracks? Remember that? Okay. So he had this band called Wings. Some of you, how many don't know who Paul McCartney is? Let me just get, find out my audience here. And these girls were pondering, they were talking about what band was Paul McCartney in before Wings? <laughs> was he in a band before Wings? Band on the run. Okay, so uh, that's all they could think about. Do you know there's going to be people who don't know who the Fab Four were? They're, they're going to be there. Martin Landau can, can introduce you to those people. I've often imagined that Orville and Wilbur Wright could come back out of history and be right there before people are boarding a Boeing 777. This plane, the first entirely computer-designed aircraft with jets, beautiful Rolls-Royce engines uh, that can fly halfway around the world. Imagine as you board the plane, these two men are shaking hands with people who get on the plane, and one says, I'm Orville, and the other guy says, I'm Wilbur. And everybody goes, who are those guys? What was that about? And the vast majority of the plane has no idea who they were. It's Martin Landau on the red carpet. One one commentator said, the fate awaiting the famous is the same fate awaiting the forgotten. So, Christian, let me ask you something. You're feeling the gravitational pull of these subjects' work. Uh, your observations of nature, a little bit bored. Living in Hawaii, there's no change of season. This is just thicker t-shirt weather. You gotta be dry, you, you, it drives people mad. Give me, a, give me a, uh, an ice storm, please. It, the monotony. Let me ask you, where are you turning in your monotony? You're doing something. You're believing something. You're saying something. You're pursuing something. You haven't been made from monotony. You're reacting to it. What are you doing? And then this phrase. Oh, look at this. Look at verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Oh, what, what true wisdom there. And then the ear, nor is the ear filled with hearing. 
Well, into this bleak picture of truth under the sun, Jesus speaks to us today. To the challenge that work is meaningless, Jesus says, oh, I've come to do the work of my father. He didn't live a meaningless second. And this cry, where, where is something truly new? We have Jesus saying, I'm it. His life is truly new. His death is truly new because it was redemptive and purposeful. His rising from the dead. You don't see that down at the mall. The truly new one is here. Piercing through our lament of our, mo- of our monotony. Behold, Jesus said as he went to the cross, Behold, I make all things new. Our text says, what, what do we gain from all the toil which we toil under the sun? The answer is that nothing for death swallows up all our efforts. Death is the permanent thing. Christianity is about dealing with that permanence of, the, the permanence of death. Jesus came to destroy death, to bring something truly new. He he brings us to a place of permanence, permanent meaning, and we are to embrace this divine wisdom that we need that gets us out from under the sun. And now let me just give you six observations of things that we've looked at briefly. The sun, remember we talked about the sun and its cycles? It's meaningless cycles. It appears to be doing something significant and nothing really happens. The sun shines. And it appears to be shining for no real purpose. Romans 8.28 tells us, no, no, no. All things, that includes the sun, all things are being orchestrated masterfully and sovereignly for our good. That includes what we might think of monotony. The wind, this great big commotion. Our preacher is saying, look, it's just a big show and it lead goes nowhere. And for us, we say, wait a minute. Jesus in John 3 said that the one who was born again of the Spirit, he is like or she is like the sovereign wind. The wind blows where you do not know. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. The wind represents not some monotonous south wind that moves up to the north and just cycles the, cycles the earth. The wind represents God's intervening grace by his spirit to cause you to be born again. Rivers. Rivers just, they just flow into the ocean and don't have any purpose. Ecclesiastes says, ah, let's contrast that with Psalm 46, 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God takes the image of a river and says, no, no, the rivers on this earth cannot satisfy, but the river I give you will be a deep river of great joy for all those who inhabit the city of God. How about seeing, seeing? Remember verse verse 8? Verse 8. You're never really satisfied in the things that you see. How about seeing? Jesus said, see, look, in the Sermon on the Mount, look at the lilies in the field, how they're clothed. Truly, I say to you, Solomon, in all his his royalty, in all his splendor, was not clothed as one of these. And yet these are thrown in the fire. How about see and look at a sparrow? 
and know that God cares and knows about that sparrow and he knows about the hairs on your head. He counts them. You see, piercing into the monotony of Ecclesiastes 1 and this sense of this, the eye cannot see what's satisfying is that we know that Jesus points us to this, his fatherly care. And we can see with new eyes his care for us. 1 John 3 says that sight is the key, key target of the, of the final revelation of God. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Hear these words. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall, we shall see him as he is. You see, your sight has already been vastly improved. God has worked in your heart and you can see salvation. You can see him working in the church. Your sight is being improved Sunday after Sunday as we gather and your, your hearing, your hearing is being improved and, and be, becoming satisfied as you see God work in his people and as you hear the gospel your hearing is being addressed through words like this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, that comes to your ears. He is faithful. You hear about God is faithful. Not the, not the author of the monotony, but he's faithful. And he's just to do what? To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the whole idea of remembering Remember that whole idea? We don't remember the right, the right brothers, right? The whole idea that we're afraid. We're, we're entering into this world of where, where, where our, we will become lost in the, in the dustbin of history. It's interesting. There is one person to remember. There's one person who is of such significance that he is to take up our gathering every time we get together. We are to remember Jesus Christ. We take the Lord's Supper. What do we do? We remember Jesus Christ. And as we remember him, we hitch our lives to him. We hold on to his coattails, and he takes us into eternity forever and ever and ever, never to be forgotten, never. Thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. This is great stuff. And so, what do we say? We say, Lord, I see. To, I see there's truth in Ecclesiastes because there is truth in just this basic under-the-sun wisdom. It's real. But you don't leave us there. You, you take us out from under the sun and you place us under the cross. And you've pierced through all the meaninglessness that we may experience. And you've filled our lives with deep, purpose. Isn't this great? The backdrop is despair. But the center stage is the one who came, Jesus Christ, who said in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life, and that life more abundantly. Let's pray. Our Father, you have not left us to be esteemed by men You've not left us in this world of cycles of monotony. You have pierced into this life 
And you have sent us your son who said he is going to make all things new. And that age is coming. That age has already filled our hearts. Father, we are blessed. Grant to us your divine wisdom. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.